Hi, this is Allison Sheridan of the NoSilicast podcast, hosted at podfeet.com, a technology geek podcast with an ever so slight Apple bias. Today is Sunday, December 15th, 2019, and this is show number 762. I'd really like to thank the folks who have contributed contents for the shows for the next couple of weeks, or those who have promised some content. Frank Petrie has a great piece he did on a few menu bar apps he really loves. He sent me the recording a few weeks ago, but I'm going to tease you and make you wait until the last show of the year to hear it. Jill McKinley has recorded two pieces for us. The first one, which I'll play next week, is about her experiences using the new MacBook Pro she bought from me after decades as a Windows user. It's really, really fun. You may also remember Jill's debut on the Neocelicast when she encountered my thoughts with a piece entitled, Sleep Tracking Isn't Stupid. Her second piece walks us through some of the uh, some more tech she uses to enhance her sleeping. I'm going to play that one alongside Frank's on the year-end show. And I'm sure if I was watching the chat room right now, I would see Frank making a joke about his content putting everybody to sleep. George from Tulsa has promised us something, and whatever it is, I'm sure it's going to be awesome. I think it's something to do with fire tablets. Anyway, you're going to get that next week. Finally, Dorothy, also known as Matt Lurker, recorded a conversation with me concluding the quest she told us about to find a new secure email system. It's quite lengthy because she explains the tools she uses to weigh the different options, the criteria she used, and the process she's using to migrate to her new email service. It's super OCD, so you guys are going to love it. It's awesome. I'm saving that one for the last week of the year as well. Finally, on uh, actually it was Dorothy's idea, Bart figured out a way to split security bits in half. So we're going to get half this week with a teaser for what's going to come out next week. This way he can take the holidays off too and not have to do a security bits for the last show of the year. I want to thank again, everybody again. Thank you so much to all the contributors who will make sure that the NoSilicast never misses a show, and yet I still get to take some time off to play with my family for the holidays. By the way, if you have a contribution you've been working for on, we still have room for more content. Before I really dig into this week's show, I'd like to blame Bart for the lightness of the content that I actually contributed this week. Here's the problem. Programming by Stealth has really started to hook me in. Our latest programming assignment, which is to create a web app for currency conversion, has been so much fun that I've really been neglecting my writing something fierce. I am loving programming right now. In the past, I've been uh, just saving it till I had time to do it. And now I keep going, oh, I'm just going to fix this one little thing. I just can make, want, want to make this one little thing line up and you know, three hours are gone because I've been having so much fun. However, I should say, as I said to Dorothy and Bart, I feel like the two of them are doing skydives and fighter jets, and I'm kind of falling off my tricycle that actually still has training wheels. But you know what? The small victories are still glorious. I worked for nearly two weeks just to get a drop-down menu to populate with country names and currency codes. I found out later on that the way I did it was something harder than either Dorothy or Bart's solution, so I'm feeling pretty smug about it. Well, except the part where Dorothy and Bart had to help me break some mental log jams for me so that I could succeed. But anyway, but still my code, it was my idea and I did it. Anyway, here's a funny thing I've discovered about programming. You never stop working on your code when it's going well. That's when the adrenaline kicks in and you're like, "I I have made fire, I can conquer the world. So you just keep doing more. So you keep going until it doesn't work. And then you only take a break when you've been beating your head against the wall for hours and hours. 
It's always good to take that break because a brisk dog walk or a bike ride can absolutely shake loose the problem. That, and then you come back and you can see the solution. Sleeping on it works as well. Well, this week's Chit Chat Across the Pond was another Programming by Stealth episode where Bart continues his mini-series recapping all of the different hats JavaScript objects wear, doing a lot of redux to kind of cement the concepts that have been spread over so many lessons. Takes a really interesting approach this week to his teaching. He explains a concept, and then instead of having little contrived examples, he shows us exactly how that concept works in action in his homework solution from Programming by Stealth 85, which is one we're still working on. His solution to the homework assignment is, of course, beautiful and elegant. Beautiful, he gives credit to Bootstrap. Elegant, he would probably give credit to jQuery, but I would give credit to him. I'm really enjoying these Redux segments because, like I said, they cement things that were still kind of wobbly or possibly completely gone from my memory. Each time through, I'm finding I understand how to even categorize the information now in my brain, where the first time he tried to pour it in there, I, it, I just didn't know where to put it to hang on to it and really understand it. I explained to Bart that I think he's actually kind of mutating the way my brain is wired now, which is kind of terrifying. Anyway, you can find Bart's tutorial show notes and listen along over at bartbushots.ie. And if you can't spell that, it's bartb.ie. You may know from way back that Bart and I did a podcast called Taming the Terminal. Bart was the instructor and I the student asking the dumb questions in which he taught me how to make the terminal do my bidding. It was kind of planned at the beginning to be of limited length and we stopped at 37 episodes. There will be more episodes coming as Bart plans to explain the change to the ZSH shell from Bash shell in macOS Catalina. And uh, so he's going to do a couple of more episodes. He's got that one and something else up his sleeve. Now, all of that is old news because we finished that a very long time ago. But this week, Bart and I got a very happy surprise. We were tweeted by someone who goes by the name Tom on the Internet. Here's what his tweet said. Over the past few months, I listened to a wonderful podcast called Taming the Terminal, hosted by Bart Bouchatz and Podfeed. I recommend it to anyone afraid of the terminal. I wrote about it here. And he gave a link to his blog at tomontheinternet.com. Well, of course, we love the tweet, but the blog post is even better. I don't want to steal his thunder and read the whole thing to you. And there is a link in the show notes to the great article he wrote, but I wanted to read you a few little highlights. I think his perspective was really interesting. After he sets up the story, he wrote, I don't know much about Bart and Allison, but they started to come into focus as I listened to the show. Allison is a techie podcast host who has known Bart for a long time. Bart's a regular guest on her podcast, but he also helps her with web stuff. Bart and Allison have decided for this podcast that Bart will slowly teach Allison to tame the terminal, and I was along for the ride. Well, I love everything about his post as he walks through his own learning process and about his observations along the way of the very different contributions Bart and I bring to this adventure. He totally gets us and our relationship. Now, the best part of this is that Tom wrote up such a great blog post about it, but the second best part is that he let us know about it. So much of the time as a podcaster, you know, you feel like only a few people are listening or getting anything out of it because of such a small percentage of people actually chat back to us. Then once in a blue moon, someone wonderful like Tom on the internet pops their head up to give us a shout out. When these rare gifts come, we realize that we're doing something cool and that it's appreciated far beyond what we know. 
Now, I do want to say also that I went back and read uh, read Tom's blog, like I said, but I read some other stuff on his blog, and it turns out he's only recently become a developer, and he's got a great post where he talks about his growth as a developer in his first year. So I've written to him, and uh, he's going to be a guest on Chit Chat Across the Pond sometime in the future. By the way, Tom, can I interest you in a show called Programming by Stealth? I collect screenshot apps like other people collect shoes. It's not that I haven't found a good one. It's that there's so many good screenshot apps to play with. I probably use the built-in screenshot utility in macOS more than any of them. I got to tell you, command Control shift 4 to copy a screenshot to my clipboard is my constant go-to keystroke. I often grab an entire window by hitting spacebar first or just drag on a region of interest. I use the copy to clipboard command because lots of times I'm just going to paste it into a telegram message. And if I'm not, my clipboard manager, copy and paste, will hold on to it until I need it. If I know I'm going to save a screenshot, I'll often use command shift four, which opens it immediately in preview so I can save it out to disk. But I almost always regret doing that because I often want to add an annotation and I hate the annotation tools in preview with a fiery passion. When you drop in an arrow, it just drops it in the middle and then you have to move it. You don't get to draw the area where you want it. So it's incredibly inefficient. When annotation is a must, I use monosnap or option command five in my world. Again, I can do a window or I can drag for an area. But once I've got the shot, the annotation tools are ever so much better than preview. I can click and drag for a precise location of an arrow or a box to highlight something. And I can change the lines thickness after the fact and I can blur out sensitive information. You can't do any of those things with preview. I know Monosnap can record video as well as screenshots, but for some reason, when I want a quick video to show something off, I use the screen capture tool built into Parallels Toolbox. With one click, I can grab an area of the screen, hit record, hit done, and then the video is nicely cluttering up my desktop. Sometimes I'm lazy and I send that giant file as is to someone, usually Stephen Getz, but Dorothy often enjoys my videos of my homework progress. If I'm feeling kind, like when sending a video of a bug to a developer, I'll open the video in QuickTime and export it to a smaller format. And yes, I know I can record video of the desktop directly using QuickTime, but for some reason, I just don't reach for it to do that. Parallels Toolbox is right there in my menu bar with all of those tools I go to all the time. Now, you would think that I have enough screenshot tools at my disposal, but I have a new one that's pretty fun. I had lunch this week with my buddy Niraj, and he told me about a tool he'd found called Capto. I looked into it, and I'm pretty sure it's the replacement for a screenshot tool I reviewed a decade ago called Voila. I'm not kidding about the decade part. It was in 2009 that I reviewed this tool. Capto is from a company called Global Delight at globaldelight.com. They also make a tool you might have heard of called Boom. I know I've talked about it. It modifies your system sound. Back when I last looked at Boom, it just made the macOS audio louder, but it looks like they've expanded it into 3D sound, and now it runs on iOS and Android and Windows. But let's talk about Capto, the screenshot utility from Global Delight, and see if it's going to be added to my arsenal of screenshot tools. Capto is 20 bucks with a free 15-day trial, and it's also included in your setup subscription if you're of that persuasion. Capto works as a menu bar app and as a normal app. Use a menu bar app or the keystrokes they give you for the different things you can capture. And then the image opens in the editor and is stored in the Capto library for future use. None of my other tools have a library function. 
Capto will give you the typical type of screenshots, full screen, area, or window, but it has more options than I've seen in most screenshot utilities. It has a dedicated option to capture a menu, which is something I really want. But unfortunately for the life of me, I can't get it to work because of macOS Catalina permissions. Support is working on getting me some help to try to get it to work, but they sent me a download version. And so now I have two versions of Capto because I have the one from Setup and I have this downloaded version and things are getting very tangly. Oddly, it's only the menu capture tool that seems to be annoyed with screen recording permissions in Catalina. Every single other feature of Capto works flawlessly for me. So anyway, they're working on it. and I don't want you to hold that against them, but it should have a menu uh, capture app. All right, let's skip the menu option. The next option is something that's definitely rare in screen capture apps. It's not unknown, but it's pretty rare. You can capture an entire web page with Capto. With your web page of interest open in your browser, simply go to the menu bar app and choose Snap Active, Active Browser URL. Instantly, you've got a PNG of the entire thing, like no matter how long it is. Capto also has a built-in browser, so you can navigate in there if you like, but I figure the native browser is probably more useful, and they've got that too. Once you have a snap inside Capto, things get really interesting. For the web page snap I just mentioned, on the right-hand side, you can see the file name, which is a prefix of your choosing in preferences, plus date and time. Then the title of the web page and the URL that was captured. I think it's pretty slick that it captures both the title and the web URL. You can also see at a glance the, dimension, the dimensions of the image in pixels, the size on disk, the date captured, and the type of snap you did. In this case, it says web snaps. Now remember, I said Capto is actually a library of your screen captures. You can search and filter by the type of snap, which is like in this case a web snap, and uh, you can also look for screen snaps and imports. You can also ta uh, add tags and a description in a notes section, so all of those are available for doing a filtered search. I guess I sort of buried the lead there when I said camera snaps. Capto records video as well as screenshots, and it can take photos and videos with your webcam. You can even record your webcam while recording your desktop, creating a picture-in-picture -picture video. You can choose which microphone you want for your voice and record computer audio at the same time. You can even choose to have mouse clicks recorded into your, your video. Other than the $100 ScreenFlow, I've not seen a tool as inexpensive that can do all of this. Often when capturing video on my screen to send someone, they can see what a mess my desktop is. With Capto, you can choose to have your desktop clutter hidden away and replaced by your desktop wallpaper, another image, or a solid color. You get the option to record a custom size or you can choose from some standard sizes. I really have wished that Parallels Toolbox had the option for standard sizes because I always end up sending these mutant aspect ratios to people. I mean, I guess it doesn't hurt anything, but it's just kind of weird when you get like a square video. Once you've captured your masterpiece video, you can do some fairly advanced editing in Capto. Like QuickTime, you can trim by dragging the ends of the clip but you can also crop the video to a new size and you can cut bits out of the middle of the video so you can slice it and take little pieces out. Capto also lets you do some pretty neat annotations of your video. You can put in rectangles and, uh, rectangles and arrows, even bendy arrows. You can put in thought bubbles and plain text and you can blur sensitive information in video. You can even import images to overlay on your video. 
when you make these annotations, they're, they're kind of, um, think of them as objects on top of the video. You get an indication in the timeline of when that annotation stops and starts, and you can drag those ends around to get it to start and stop exactly when you wanted it to. The annotations show in the timeline with an icon for the type of annotation. For example, I can see an arrow in the timeline where my arrow annotation was inserted. Get this, you can even stack annotations so they overlap on the timeline, so two things are on screen at the same time, and yet still move them around and change their duration on the timeline separately. After your video is captured, you can modify the computer audio and the microphone audio independently, changing volume and adding fades in and out. By default, the video from your webcam comes into the video, the picture in picture in the bottom right, but you can change that in the editor to several different positions and change the size of the picture in picture video. If you get it done and you realize, man, I don't really like to have my camera video in the picture in picture, you can uncheck that box to include camera video on export. I sort of jumps ahead by going straight to the video screencasting capabilities of Capto and I completely skipped over regular old screen snapshots. I explained the type of snap, the shots you can take, but I skipped a really interesting one. You can capture a free form area on screen. You get a little cursor that you drag around to capture any shape you want. Now, I'm not quite sure what this would be for because it ends up looking kind of goofy, but it's fun to play around with if you're a creative type. The annotations on images are even more fun than those on videos. You get a pen and a highlighter with controls for the stroke width and color. The thought bubbles can be a few fun different cartoony shapes as well. You can stamp your image with solid rectangles, ovals, stars, diamonds, pentagons, and octagons, and even a freeform tool. All of these tools have the option to change the stroke of the shape, add shadows, and even control the opacity of the shadow. Now, I mentioned the blur tool a couple of times, which is awesome for hiding stuff. But sometimes you want the opposite. You want to add focus to something specific on screen. With Capto, you can choose a shape, freeform or predefined, and everything outside of that shape will be darkened, leaving only the things in your shape looking bright and important for focus. I should mention that all of the tools I've been describing are non-destructive, allowing you to move them around, delete older ones, edit text, and change pretty much anything you desire. Back on the video editing where I said you could cut out part of the video, you can even undo that after adding other annotations. One thing my beloved Clarify app had was the ability to add sequence step bubbles. Capto has that capability too. One enhancement I'd like to see is that if you put down, let's say, three sequence bubbles, like one, two, three, and if you delete the second one, the three really should change to a two like it did in Clarify. There's one last crazy tool. It looks like a standard issue rectangular marquee tool, but if you drag it over an area, nothing seems to happen. It turns out if you drag on the rectangle you just drew, it copies that area as a new object on screen. Not only that, you can increase or decrease the size of that area that you just copied. You can move it around and increase it or decrease it. That creates a very interesting effect. I can see it to show off a particular part of a snapshot screen snapshot, like you want to say, this menu right here. George from Tulsa often sends me photos of his dogs, and they always have a silly thought bubble coming out of their heads. I sent him a picture of Tesla on Santa's lap with a thought bubble saying, I want a milk, bone a milk bone dog biscuit. See, I couldn't have done that with any of my other screen snapshot tools. Below the image you've been editing, there are some more tools. 
You can move objects on screen forward and back. It's sort of a layering. And note that the image itself is not considered an object, so it's unaffected by that layering. You can flip annotations horizontally and vertically. And sometimes you get part of an image just perfect, like one of these annotations. It's just perfect, just the way you want it. And you want to make sure you don't mess it up. They've provided a button to lock specific annotations in place and easily unlock them later if you want to do that. There's an option to freeform change the canvas size, which can be handy if you want to add an annotation that's outside of the screenshot. I need that all the time. For some reason, I always crop my screenshots too close to the material, and I don't leave myself enough room for an arrow or for some text. Once you make the canvas bigger and add your annotations, Capto has a button to crop the canvas right to the edge of all objects so it never is bigger than it needs to be. In a way, Capto is like a clipboard manager, except for images and videos. If you like to store your screen snapshots and videos in case you need them later, you'll like the library management tools. You can view just images or just videos, search and filter, as I mentioned before, but you can also create collections. They even have smart collections where you can apply some rules to classify your material. And notice none of my screen snapshots were cluttering up my desktop. The bottom line is I thought I was just going to spend, you know, 10 minutes playing with yet another screen snapshot tool, but Capto really surprised me in some of its unique features that I could really use. If you have a setup subscription, definitely give Capto a try. If you don't, remember they have a free 15-day trial at globaldelight.com. And it's only 20 bucks if you decide to buy. That's not bad at all for such a highly capable app. As you continue doing your holiday shopping using the Amazon affiliate links by going to podfeed.com slash Amazon, I would like to thank Eric Fontenot for taking Frank's advice and sending along a direct donation using PayPal. Not only does this show that Eric is a listener of high taste and sophistication, it shows that he's an all-around swell guy who appreciates the content that we produce every week without fail at the Podfeed Podcast Empire. If you'd like to be sophisticated and swell like Eric, head on over to podfeed.com slash PayPal and send along a one-time donation of your choosing. Thanks again, Eric. Well, it's that time of the weekend. It's time for Security Bits with Bart Bouchatz. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, it's I had a good meal. They, um, <laughs> they had, because it's Christmas time, they had venison in the supermarket. Like, Ooh. So I marinated it, and your friend Linda's recommended favorite marinade, and it, oh, oh, was it good. Tasty treats. Well, I spent my uh, my afternoon. If, I really wish somebody had been recording me trying to rake leaves today because there's really strong winds right now, and oh. my giant elm tree is just. It's like I was I was trying to dry the driveway in rain, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Every time totally you turn calm. your back, it said, "Oh, have some more leaves, Allison." No, no, yeah. really, have a few more. <laughs> It was pretty fruitless. Well, we're winding up to the end of the year, and uh, I asked Bart if there was a way he could, by any chance, split security bits into two pieces. Now, by him splitting security bits up, we are going to be able to have security bits again, uh, and yet Bart will get to have the holidays off at the same time. How's that sound, Bart? Well, that sounds very good to me. I like the idea of a, of a uh, well, we call a holiday, you call a vacation, I guess, or no, <laughs> Anyway, well, no, vac- not working. vacation is when you're on your own holidays when everybody gets it off. Ah, uh, oh. That's the distinction. 
finally, there is actually a distinction other than it just being the other side of the Atlantic. That is, I'm going to yeah. try try remember that. <laughs> By the way, this was Dorothy's idea to split it up. So if you don't like it, it's her fault, right? No, I think it worked out really well, actually. I, I was unsure because security news can be a bit time sensitive. But yeah, your first it, reaction was, I can't do that. And then yeah. it worked. You figured out a well, way. Then, I sort of said, I'll have a look at the stories. And some of them are interesting and worth talking about, but it doesn't matter if you talk about them now or next week, whereas some ah. of them are urgent and we should talk about them straight away. And so that's how I split them up. Okay, that sounds like a good uh, strategy. So what's moving to next week? So I have two teasers for you. <laughs> Just really <laughs> cheeky to start the show with two teasers. Um, so we will be doing two security mediums what you guys will hear next week and myself and Alison record in a few minutes well not yeah, 20 minutes or so 30 minutes whatever um the first of those is going to be called vpns not all hacked um i think steve gibson got gets the award for the best headline uh, vpn getting denied there was a <laughs> lot of very hyperventilating stories about every vpn on every os being broken no 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 they're yes researchers found something interesting and there's some meat for us to get stuck into but the bottom line is keep vpning away your grant okay good all right so we can rest our pretty little heads about that but we still get to hear about it next week to hear the interesting bits yes and they have done i mean there there was definitely some cool stuff in the research but it's just not it's just not a catastrophe like it's if it hadn't have made so many headlines it would have been in propeller beanie section oh okay but it did make headlines, so we should talk about it in more detail. All right, the other thing that made good. lots of headlines, because it involved the word Apple and the word privacy, <laughs> and therefore it's clickbait ahoy hoy. Um, <laughs> now, it wasn't started with... Sorry, that sounded, like a, that sounded like a uh, Mac OS Ken title, clickbait ahoy hoy. <laughs> I, I, I listen to Ken every day, so I guess some of it must have rubbed off. Yeah. Like Mac updated GoGo, but slightly different. Yeah. Um. This was started by Brian Krebs, who didn't mean it to, to, to be clickbait. He, he was just like, this is weird. My phone is doing something I don't expect, which immediately ran off into Apple is evil and somehow spying on us all. Um, bottom line, nothing nefarious going on. No danger to your privacy. Carry on. But again, there's a lot more what's to the, it. What's the, the headline so people know which thing you're talking about? So there was a... There is some unexpected behavior, which we now understand, in when location services are used on iOS 13 with iPhones 11. Oh, okay. And it only affects iPhones 11. But there's nothing nefarious going on, and your privacy is in no danger. That is the bottom line. Okay, perfect. So with that out of the way, we can actually talk about some stuff we're actually going to talk about. So notable security updates, and these are definitely urgent, because we should patch, 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 patch. Apple patched everything is the simplest <laughs> way to just say it. So iOS 13.3, iPadOS 13.3, uh, um, tvOS 13.3, a whole lot of them. HomePod, macOS, Catalina got a... macOS 10.15.2, watchOS, and also um, updates to the older versions of macOS that are still supported. So basically everything got patched. Um, I knew something big had happened when I had nine devices to update in one room. <laughs> Yeah, that's also called you forgot to sell your old iPhones, Allison. Nine. I don't think I have nine in any one room, but there's certainly nine of them under this roof. Yeah, wanted updates. Uh, some things of note: iOS thirteen point three being a bigger re- release, so point three rather than a point something point something, um, has brought some new goodies. 
Um, we now have uh, Fido, or web, basically we have Fido 2, so WebAuthn and all that cool stuff we talked about a while ago is now for reals. And if you want to buy an NFC-based um, YubiKey hardware token, that is now compatible with iOS. Huh. So no, do, no more plugging Do you think you'll do it. something like that? Oh, yeah, they, had, they, they already have those NFC tokens. They just only worked on Android phones, and now they No, work. I said, do you think you will? Me? Oh, probably, yeah. Just okay. because I want to have some first-hand experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and GitHub supports uh, these hardware tokens, and I do open source, so why not secure my open source with a physical token? Yeah, cool. Uh, they also fixed a nasty bug named AirDOS, um, which is basically a way that you could spam people with um, airdrop notifications, which are modal. And therefore, if you have a script running to send thousands of them one after the other, then the person can't use their phone until they get out physically away from you uh, because it's a modal dialogue that keeps popping up, 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 up. Um, so that's been nipped in the bud. So that's good. Okay. And in theory, iOS 13 has some lovely new parental controls to limit who children can message and call with. Unfortunately, there's a few bugs in the implementation, so resourceful kids can sidestep these new restrictions. But I'm sure that will be fixed in a future update. So that's not really it's sort of a failure to provide extra rather than a problem with what we already had. No, from what I understand, though, it's not like super clever hackery kids can figure out their way around it. It was kind of obvious. Like if someone sends a a text message to a kid that's not in their address book and they're restricted so they can't talk to anybody not in their address book, they can just say, add to my address book, and then they can. If they're not set up to sync with iCloud. Oh, so there there are some more. It's not quite as straightforward as that. Okay. Um, and the workaround at the moment is to enable iCloud Sync. It's okay. It basically retroactively firewalling the phone and messaging functionality is like trying to make a colander waterproof. Apple probably got 99% of the holes. It's much easier to build something in such a way that you can filter it than to add filtering to something that's existed for 13 versions of an operating system and then retroactively start filtering it. So I'm not surprised it hasn't worked perfectly. But they'll get there. Hmm. Uh, Safari now, <laughs> this is, this is the, I might, the headline actually comes from the blog post from the WebKit team. But Safari now prevents tracking prevention tracking. Wait, what? <laughs> People had found a way to use detection of tracking, protection, tracking prevention to, in fact, do a form of tracking. So to use your tracking prevention status as a part of a fingerprint. So Apple have now put tracking prevention, tracking prevention into iOS. Or into Safari. So basically, they've made it so that the website doesn't know that you're preventing it from tracking it. Therefore, that can't be used as part of a fingerprint anymore. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it's very meta, right? Tracking prevention as a form of tracking. What? And then we're preventing tracking prevention being used as a form of tracking. It gets very, very circular very quickly. It, they made it better, much better. <laughs> There's also a new feature that's designed to fight SMS spam 
And I've seen a few people get really cranky about it because what it does is when someone SMSs you who's not in your address book, the first time it happens, you sort of get asked, do you want to accept this message? And people are getting asked this when they get sent SMS-based two-factor auth codes for the first time. And some people are losing their ever-loving mind. And I'm like, yeah, maybe it's time you stopped using SMS for two-factor auth like NIST are telling you. Well, yeah, but it, the receiver has no choice about that. Well, no. Often. There are places that only offer one form of 2FA, in which case, for now, you have to tolerate it. And you should do what yourself and myself do and write to the people saying, oi, see these here guidelines from NIST? What you're doing is not acceptable anymore. Uh, but a lot, a lot of places offer multiple types of 2FA and people just out of habit or fear or whatever continue to choose SMS because it sounds like, oh, yeah, that sounds easy. Uh, but even then, I don't think this is really a problem because once you accept the from number, well, then you've accepted the from number. So, Yeah, they change, though. Usually okay. you don't get the same number, do you? Okay, Uh in my experience, I do get the same number, but maybe that's not oh, okay. universally true. Actually, I, I don't know that for a fact. I, I don't think this is really an issue, to be perfectly honest. And I think that blocking SMS spam is much more useful than the small inconveniences might cause to some people. So on the yeah. whole, I think Apple are doing the right thing, but it's, it's, getting some, it's getting some pushback. Big whiny. Yeah. Uh, it has been Patch Tuesday, so lots of busyness. Uh, Microsoft released a whole bunch of patches, fixing seven critical bugs in Windows, um, and also a bug which Microsoft classified as important rather than critical, even though it's being actively exploited in the wild. And to me, if something's being actively exploited in the wild, it should really get the critical label, but let's not quibble with Microsoft. Either way, seven real critical bugs that are definitely critical, and I would argue there's eight of them. Either way, patch, 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 patch. Good thing Apple doesn't have to do a lot of patches like that. Yeah, imagine if they were to release everything. Um, this is also uh, actually, so that eighth bug is actually being used by something called the wizard opium attack, which actually requires the Windows bug in conjunction with a Google Chrome bug. So the two bugs together are needed for wizard opium to do its thing. So Google have patched their browser, Microsoft and then patched their operating system. So that is the end of wizard opium unless... People don't patch, which, of course, they should. Uh, if you're one of those people desperately clinging on to Windows Mobile, you have just run out of runway. These Patch Tuesday updates are the last your operating system is ever going to get. It is now oh, obsolete wah, wah. and insecurable. You need a new phone. I'm sorry. And it was a good run. It was a very good run if you're still using one now, to be honest, because Microsoft haven't actually been making any phones for quite some time now. So, yeah. And they were, I mean, I liked the originality of Windows Mobile. It just never quite took off. Um, Adobe have released updates to Photoshop, Creative Cloud, Acrobat, and Reader. So I would suggest that if you run any of those products to patch them. And Google Chrome have released, or Google have released version 79 of Chrome, which we don't usually talk about every single one because they auto-update extremely reliably so people don't have to worry about it. Uh, but it's worth mentioning this time because Google have upped the game in terms of both their anti-phishing protection and their detection of your passwords being in breaches. So basically, oh. password protection and anti-phishing protection have both been given a little bit of TLC. So that's, so is that looking at passwords you store in Chrome? 
to be honest, I don't browse with Chrome because I don't trust Google as far as I could throw them. But I believe it's when you go to a website um, and there's a known breach, they'll somehow tell you that you might want to be careful. Okay. Okay. I don't know the actual details, but the point of the protection is that when you actively go to a place with a known problem, you will be somehow notified. I uh, I thought you were going to say you don't use Chrome because you like to have battery power. You don't that like to too. See that, that too. You don't like uh, to see the lights dim in your house. <laughs> yeah, it's. I remember the days when Google Chrome was a really, really efficient whippersnapper of a browser that everyone loved because it was so you know oh, minimalist. Yeah. That's and why powerful. we switched. Yeah. Yeah, that's not true anymore. The good news is to... Firefox is back. So Firefox went through the full cycle from fast, nimble to bloaty, bloaty, McBloat, bloat. And now it's back fast and nimble again since, what, about six months ago when they did a whole new rendering engine? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty It's pretty nice. I, I keep meaning to see if I can stand a switch again. I, I just love the integration of everything, so I still haven't, but uh, I do. I, I was I heard a, uh, was listening to the Accidental Tech podcast, and John Syracuse has just purchased his purchased the new mac pro and so it's this long episode about exactly what he buys and his thought process and everything about it but at the end they say he says and i totally do not need this and they said yeah but now you can open three chrome browser tabs (laughs) (laughs) it's like seventeen thousand dollars you can bear hanging on a bit longer now to be perfectly honest i use safari as my i i always need two browsers because i have you have multiple hats on so i want to log into the same site with different accounts Mm-hmm. Uh, and Safari is definitely my primary with Firefox as a secondary. Uh, but we have a new option on the horizon that's very close, which is Edge, which is Chrome oh. with all the Google stuff ripped out. And it's actually, I've been playing with the beta and it's really nice. Oh, you're such a Microsoft lover. Jeez. <laughs> I haven't changed. <laughs> I used to hate Microsoft and now I quite like them, but I haven't changed. What's changed is Microsoft. Yeah. Satya Nadella is not Steve Ballmer, is not uh, Bill Gates. Like, I mean, they're three very, very different human beings, and they've run a very, very different Microsoft. Yep. It is interesting that one person can change the culture of a company so dramatically as what we've seen there. That's that's really remarkable. As Apple fans, I'm not sure we should be surprised by that. I don't know if we've seen that much change in Apple. Nothing like what we saw in, in Microsoft. But not with the Tim, not with the Steve to Tim change, because Tim is Steve's oh. competitor. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> you but, mean from Scully back to Jobs? Yeah. That's oh, exactly yeah. Okay. what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, in that case, though, they went down to, to like seven people and three weeks from complete and utter bankruptcy to a multi-billion dollar corporation, but uh, or trillion dollar corporation. This is a case of a company that never got any smaller. They were making money hand over fist under Balmer. Um, but they so they shifted that big of a company. You know, that's pretty remarkable. It is remarkable. And um, like the fact that Microsoft Teams for Linux was released this week is speaks volumes. Oh yeah, I, I can I tell the story I've told like eighty five times on the on the oh. show about uh, Steve Ballmer and that topic. Uh, many years ago, I was at the Gartner conference, which was the worst conference I've ever been to. But the well, no, there was one I walked out of it wasn't quite as bad as that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, Steve Ballmer went on stage and they had pre staged questions that people asked, and they had done it in an outdoor venue where they video recorded people asking questions. Mm. And somebody asked, "When are you gonna?" Uh, put out Microsoft Office for Linux. And Steve Ballmer said, well, you know, this is a question I get really often. And let me describe it to you this way. 
The Mac is a nice business. It's a little business, but it's a nice business. Linux is made up of a smaller community of people than the Mac, and it's entirely populated by people who don't want to give us money. <laughs> and, you know, as much as I hated the guy, I was like, well, he makes kind of a really big good point because, you know, the yeah. Mac was really, really small. And he's right. Linux users are people who actively chose not to give them money. That is true when you sell software. That's not true when you sell cloud services. Yeah. Yeah. It can, it, it, well, it, it, it could be. It could be. Either way, you've at least got a chance, and and they're committed to a lot of uh, open source activities. So, right, because I mean, they're, they're, they're GitHub. You know, Azure is their big product. Azure is their new Windows. So, they want Linux servers. They will sell you Linux VMs. They will sell you storage you can access from your Linux. Like the oh, the money the money machine for Microsoft is under the hood now. It's a bit like IBM aren't user facing anymore. They're mm -hmm. really really. They're, they're really, really corporate IT facing. And right, right. Cash cow for Microsoft is Azure. And okay. Azure is very, very Linux friendly. And that's what um, Satya Nadella was heading up before he was made CEO. So he brought his mm. pro open source culture from his previous very successful role in Microsoft to the CEO suite. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well, that makes a lot more sense. I didn't even know you could get Azure on, on uh, Linux. I would have just assumed it could be only on uh, Microsoft. But it's the other way around. You have Linux on Azure. Oh, Azure is a platform. sorry. Sorry, yeah. right, right, right. Oh, okay. yeah, no, we have, like, with my work hat on, we have Red Hat Linux VMs all over our Azure tenancy. Hmm. And okay. seamlessly migrate from on-premise to Azure with Red Hat Linux servers. So we were, you know, we were Red Hat Linux when we were on premise, and now that we're cloudy, cloudy, it's still Red Hat Linux. And Microsoft have not only no problem with it, they make it supremely easy. You go, I'd like huh. a new VM, and they go, What OS would you like? And we go, Red Hat, please. And they go, Sure, version six, seven, or eight. And we go, Eight. And they go, Ta da! Wow, that I did not know that. That's excellent. Yeah. So it's you know it all change, and that's Satya Nadella. And he yeah. also feels that Office is now software as a service, therefore it should work everywhere. doesn't matter where the user goes, whether you're on Android, Linux, iOS, Mac, Windows, the web, you should have a great Office experience. And so the fact that the first of the Office apps has just appeared on raw Linux, that's great. Because now these people are being freed from their browser to actual full desktop experience, and that is very positive. So I'm really looking forward to the rest of the apps joining Teams. So, uh, okay, so it was just Teams, right? Okay. Yeah. So this is basically their canary in the coal mine. See how it goes. Dip your toe in the water. Teams is a modern app, so it has much less legacy baggage. Okay. So I think it's easier to port. Interesting. I still think Office has gone downhill, but that's a whole nother, whole nother yeah, wine session. I'm hoping is that the second app to get the TLC, the, the Linux TLC, will be OneDrive. Oh, I hate OneDrive. Yeah, that but many stupid. rely on OneDrive. In Not the corporate sure. world, OneDrive, okay. In a university setting, having OneDrive available for all of the many, many university Linux users will be nice. It, that until, will be much until I can right click on a file and send you a link. I'm not going to like it. Right, but it's not. Yeah, it's. Remember, I said it was not really consumer facing anymore. So, like businesses are like an also ran in Apple's world. You're now mm -hmm. an also ran in Microsoft's world. He doesn't They're much more interested about the opposite: stopping you sharing corporate secrets. <laughs> it's much more <laughs> okay. about data leak protection and protecting information and 
stopping leaks and being GDPR compliant than it is about sharing. It's the opposite, stopping you sharing. See, Microsoft doesn't like to share. You heard it here. Or rather, it likes to control sharing. Anyway, yeah, so we're a slight rabbit hole, but hey, who cares? A little bit, yeah. Uh, so that is the end of Patch Tuesday, but not the end of updates. Um, and I, it, I, can't, I didn't check the exact date. Maybe the release of Android was also on Tuesday. So maybe this is one last Patch Tuesday story. But anyway, the December 2019 security update for Android is out. It fixes a bug which has a cryptic description, which Google didn't elaborate on. But it describes a permanent denial of service, which what? I think means actually genuinely bricking phones. I don't know any other way to interpret that word, that, yeah. that phrase. Yeah. Now, there's no description of by what mechanism it would achieve this very disastrous end. But I would suggest that's worth patching. Uh, excuse me while I go get my Android phone out of the store here. <laughs> yeah. Um, rather unusually, there is a serious authentication bypass bug in OpenBSD, an OS that has a long history of being excruciatingly secure. So it has been patched. So if you're running OpenBSD, make sure that you too are patched. And just to say that WordPress 5.3.1 has been released to fix a critical security bug that could allow a site to take over. I have a whole bunch of email in my inbox saying, Bart, that's this website of yours has updated itself. I was like, thank you. Yay. Okay, so I won't have to go back off and do that while you're talking. No. Well, you might double check that you're on 531, but I'm sure you will be. Okay. So notable news. Um, a lot of this has been pushed into part two, but two things I do want to talk about now. Um, Facebook have decided that they will target ads on your Oculus VR data. So you can have a heads up with ads. Or they'll use what you do with your heads up to target your ads when you come onto Facebook. Either way, yeah, I'm not surprised, but you know. <sighs> So yeah. if you look around the room and you and it shows your a mana refrigerator, if that company's still around, I think that was an American company, they could they would turn around and send you ads in Facebook for a competing refrigerator. Is that the kind of thing? They See, for maybe it'll just be down to the ads you load or the things you do inside the Oculus. But either way, I don't really think I want something literally on my face trying to figure out what to advertise at me. That seems a little too close, a little too yeah. invasive. Um, the, the award for duh of the week goes to the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, who have released a report finding that Facebook users were duped by Cambridge Analytica. <laughs> so Fisher, how much that, that cost? Uh, well, actually, it comes with an order ordering Cambridge Analytica to cease and desist and a few other things, but they're in the middle of bankruptcy, so this may all be somewhat moot. Right, um, and I'm just saying that that a highfalutin report, uh, how much it cost me as a taxpayer for them to do, to figure that out. Well, it's actually, I don't think it's necessarily as big of a waste, because if, if part of the liquidation of Cambridge Analytica would were to be an attempt to sell their data, they now can't do that because they're under FTC order to protect the data. Oh, okay. Right. So the fact that there's an order from the FTC may actually still be relevant because just because a company's going bust doesn't mean that all of its stuff isn't going to get sold off in a fire sale. Ah, right, right, right. Uh, and also some related good news, because I like to find some Facebook balance in the force when possible. <laughs> uh, Facebook are slowly beginning to roll out a new tool in their, I think, 
begrudging embrace of data portability, but they're working on a mechanism for transferring all of your photos out of Facebook into another social network. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. That's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. So more, more please. I know people, the, the people I've heard talking about this say, well, you know, any picture I put up there, I also have it in my Google Photos or my iCloud photo library. But what you have in Facebook is all of your favorite photos, the ones that you were most proud of or most excited about. So that could still be really helpful. Yeah. And just the very principle of it, that if you want to leave Facebook, your photos aren't stuck there or you're not stuck one by one, right click, save as, right click, save as. Like it, it, this is, there's no way this is anything but good. Yeah. Yeah. I thought for a minute when you said you you try to find something nice to say about Facebook, one of these days you're just going to go, hey, they spelled their name correctly this week. <laughs> I, I, w- I won't deny it's often a struggle. And there's usually an asymmetry where it's like five stories of Facebook doing something rotten, followed by the one I could find where there's a silver lining. But I do try. Uh, Instagram also, which is Facebook too, actually. So there's maybe mm. two silver linings here. But Instagram, in order to protect kids, are making new users give a date of birth as they sign up. That's probably a good idea. So you at least know who you're protecting. And YouTube have updated their policies to ban malicious insults, veiled threats, and harassment. The huh. veiled threats is actually really important because it means that you don't have to explicitly say, I wish to kill you. You can just hint at it. And that's still interesting. That's, that was YouTube. That was YouTube. Yeah. Now, Facebook is selling ads against that kind of malicious insults and veiled threats, right? I'm sure Google is too. <laughs> anyway, so that's, that, that's all we're going to talk about in Newswise. So really, the only thing I'm going to do for the rest of this segment, apart from some palate cleansing at the end, is just to highlight a whole bunch of suggested reading. And there's, I've done it all in part one because there's no point in having half the suggested reading in part two. Um. It probably goes without saying, but the U.S. Federal Trade Commission are warning people who buy smart toys to be careful because they may have security risks. And actually, they give some pretty good advice. Like, you know, if the thing connects to the Internet, well, maybe you need to look a little bit more closely. If the thing has a camera, maybe you need to look a little bit more closely. So actually, not bad advice for for normies. So, you know, your uh, warnings and and. Uh, constantly letting us know what's going on in the world of security. It had an immediate effect on a purchase that I made. Uh, I know my kids don't listen to the show, so it's okay that I talk about it. But my daughter-in-law asked for a specific uh, baby cam for her impending child. And, uh, you know, my first thing was, well, I get a wise cam. And they were like, well, no, this one's really cute. And it integrates with the Echo Show that they're going to get from somebody else. And it's uh, all adorable and everything. It looks like a bunny. And my immediate reaction was, all right, well, I'm just going to go out and find out what's stupid about this. And I went out and I was like, this is going to have hacks and it's going to, here's going to be, and it's for, you know, bad news, security hole, privacy, blah, blah, blah. There was nothing wrong with it. It was, it was, it was completely clean. Um, I, I could not find a single thing bad about it. I found it listed under, yeah, you can probably trust these guys. Um, it's a company, it's Arlo which I think might actually be by Netgear. I've I'm heard right. that name, and it's by someone important. Uh, no, it's Arlo Technologies. Yeah, no, it is. Not. It is Netgear, yeah. But no breaches, no no nothing. And you're buying it as opposed to being the product, so... In hope. Yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, of course, it's going to the Echo Show, which is, you know, Amazon's already selling it. But that's that's the, look, the, the, if they want to go down the Amazon road, that's, you know, they're adults. They can yep, make that choice. Yep, yep. I disagree with that choice, but they can make that choice. 
but I just wanted you to know that uh, that it, it's working. I'm paying yeah. attention. So I changed your brain by making you into a programmer. Clearly, <laughs> if your brain has changed, you are now a programmer. That is. <laughs> and uh, I've also made you more security aware. Go me. Always. And uh, notable breaches and privacy violations. The, the, anyone who doesn't want good news, skip ahead a little bit. Um, hmm. More than 1 million T-Mobile customers were exposed by a breach. It's not your payment data, just pretty much everything needed to fish you. Um, so that's great. Who was that? Uh, T-Mobile. Oh. Now, Alison, the next story you sent me along, because it actually didn't cross my radar, um, but it's very local to you. Do, do you want to... Mm, try to catch up with exactly where you are? DMV making $50 million a year selling driver's personal information. That sort of covers it. Yeah. Yes, the California DMV, like the people, we pay taxes to these people to do this service for us, to give us our driver's license, uh, verify our insurance, um, give us our license plates and everything. They've been selling that data, making money, like $50 million a year. Yeah, the the reason and, for DMV to exist is to make you safer on the road, not to vi violate your privacy. Yeah, I, when I saw it, I was like, Bart, did I sleep through us talking about this 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 is appalling. And, and you were like, no, we did not talk about this. So, Yeah, I guess being a, a California story, it wasn't quite international enough to make my radar. But I, as soon as you pointed me to it, I was like, that's just so many levels of wrong. Yeah. I, I, in Europe, I, we literally, and I do mean literally, have laws against that kind of thing. Um, in fact, the Irish Data Protection Commissioner is using the GDPR to go after a number of government departments in Ireland at the moment over our unofficial state id which is such a such a stupid idea. so the, the the irish are vehemently opposed to a national id card and the government really want one so they decided to introduce something they're saying no no, no it's not an id card it has your picture on it and it ties to our equivalent of your social security number and it's used as photo id for government services but it's not an id <laughs> card don't you know and the data protection commissioner is having a field day by the great. way, uh, I'm going to expand this a little bit further down in the story. It does explain that the Rhode Island DMV made $384,000 selling personal data. Uh, Wisconsin is listed. Uh, so this total... is a common disease. They're learning off each other. Yeah. Florida. Oh, $77 million. But it, there isn't anything in this article that says yes, and they were breaking the law. Because they're not breaking the law in America. You your data protection regime is lacking, shall we say. The, the people they're selling it to are private investigators. Yeah, that makes it all better. You can spy on your ex-husband or wife. Yeah. So, there's that. <laughs> yeah, there are palate cleansers. Good. <laughs> not quite there yet. Um, True Dialogue is a bulk SMS service provider. Might basically... A company that needs to SMS people for any reason buys SMS service from these guys. And they left a giant big database of all of their past SMS messages sitting on Azure without a password in front of it. Which is just genius. That actually takes effort to be so silly. Yeah, you'd have to go out of your way. So this is the content of the messages, not yeah. who they were sent to? Yeah. So basically, yeah, it's a dump of the SMS traffic. So all of those like two-factor authentication codes, which is not the worst because they're ephemeral, but right. 
there may be other sensitive information being automatically texted by a doctor surgery. Hi, we've got the results of your V, you know, your AIDS test. Sorry. Yeah. Although I would hope that even in the modern world, that wouldn't come over SMS. Yeah. I hope. Um, and then our German friends um, have discovered that the GDPR has teeth. Uh, there is a German call center operator called One and One who have just been fined almost 10 million euro for failing to fully authenticate callers. Basically, you rang up this call center and they were supposed to, under the GDPR, make sure the people on the phone really are who they say they are before giving out personal information. And they were wiping their feet with that law. And they were investigated by the German Data Protection Commission. The German Data Protection Commissioner went, you are guilty. Here is your almost 10 million euro fine under the GDPR. So I didn't catch uh, people calling into this call center. We're not. It, it would be. The, yeah. So under the GDPR, I can't remember. OK, it may not have been calling in. It may be calling out, but either. No, we'll be calling in. Yes, yes, yes. It is people calling in. So when you phone your bank or your even and not just your bank, when you, in, in Europe, when you phone a service provider, say the electricity company, the water company, the gas company. Mm -hmm. They actually have a legal requirement to verify that you are the account holder before they speak to you oh. about you. Okay, so when I called AT&T today to yell at them about trying to cheat me on my bill, which they were, um, and they made me authenticate with the code, yeah. that's what ha had to be doing and these guys weren't? They just didn't yeah. feel like it? Yes, yes. That's a pretty toothy fine. It is a pretty toothy million. Dollars. Yeah. But when you think about it, the ability for anyone to phone up and pretend to be you is a massive data breach. Yeah. So it's really important that that aspect of GDPR is policed. And that's good policing. Yeah. So that's That'll good. give you pause. Exactly. Now, I've no idea how big the next two stories are. Um, there's something called a Yodel, which is apparently a parcel tracking app. And they didn't really secure it very well. So you could track other people's parcels. And there's a music service that is apparently most popular in the UK called Mixcloud. Uh, and their user database has been found for sale on the dark web. So one assumes that leaked. Um, so if you are a Mixcloud user, you probably want a new password. Hmm. In terms of news that I would suggest is worth people's attention to read. Um, so Google have answered the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S.'s request for comment on a review of COPA, which is the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. And Google would like very much for the government to remove the rule that says that anyone watching child-directed content should be treated like it should be considered under 13. So Google would like to say that just because you're watching a video of the Teletubbies is no reason that we can't advertise the alcohol at you. And I'm hoping they do not succeed. <laughs> Well, sure, they don't know that you're a child, but they, you don't know that you're not. Exactly. So the law as it stands says that if it's child-aimed content, the ads should be child-appropriate. That yeah. is a very sensible law. Yeah. We will want that changed. I hope mm -hmm. they fail. Um, meanwhile, the ad industry is... So <laughs> CCPA is the new Californian, you know, GDPR. California line. GDPR, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the ad industry groups are asking that the CCPA please, please, please not stop them putting cookies everywhere on the internet. Huh. I also hope they fail. Yeah. Um, antitrust regulators have said, yep, we are investigating Google's data collection. So that'll be interesting. 
Meanwhile, in the United States, the House of Representatives has passed something called the Traced Act, which is designed to protect consumers from robocalls. So hopefully that has some teeth. It's it's fun to know that there's one thing that both sides of the House agree yeah. on is we all hate robocalls. <laughs> we need more stories like that. Yeah, and I can see why, because I didn't understand why it was such a big deal, because again, with our tighter data protection laws, it's been illegal in Europe for a very long time. But I spent two weeks living in America in someone's house as a house guest. Mm. And the phone would ring in the evenings and they would say, oh, no, no, we don't answer our phone here until we hear someone's voice we like in the answering machine. I was like, what do you mean? It's like, well, it's not for us. It's just robots. Like, What are you talking about? And sure enough, every evening about the time that people get home from work, it was robocall after robocall. And people just they just didn't answer the phone. I was like, yeah, no, that's normal here. Yeah. You people live. I don't answer the phone. Steve does just so that he can report them to Nomo Robo because he hopes that he's helping the greater good. <laughs> I like that. Good smart. Taking one for the team. It's like a two hour a day job. <laughs> that does sound tedious. All right. Uh, another one I have a star next to is after criticism. Again, this is US flagged. Homeland Security drops plans to expand their airport facial recognition scans to U.S. citizens. That that seems potentially unconstitutional. So I think they've sort of sidestepped some issues there by just saying, you know what, we'll voluntarily not do that. In a in a opposite story, Kaylee posted in our Slack, and I'll try to find the uh, link in the in uh, in Slack. She posted a story that the Metro is going to start experimenting with facial recognition in Japan. For what purpose? For I as like your I, ticket, your face is your ticket or something? Maybe I don't remember. Or was it security? I will uh, I will take a look, and if I come up with it before we're done, I'll let you know. Otherwise, it'll be in the show notes. I was going to say, regardless of when you find it, would you be so kind as to pop it into suggested reading? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a few other stories in there, but they're the ones I, I found worthy of putting a star next to. Uh, I also starred three stories under opinion and analysis. Um, a good article on Wired saying, basically, we need to address Libra's privacy problems before Libra gets kicked off, if it ever does. I'm Maybe that'll become a moot point. But either way, it's it's actually a good reasoned article from Wired, which is not unusual. And similar veins, The Atlantic have a long form article on the dark psychology of social networks. Again, not a not a quick read and not a happy, happy, joy, joy read, but a very well written read. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe when you know you're going to do something nice afterwards, have you that one? And then, yeah, if you get something else. yeah, sort of an interesting idea. Um, security researchers did a report on ranking countries by how they collect bioinformatic or bio biometric data and what they're doing with it. So it sort of compares different countries and how they're using biometrics. Uh, they sort of then go and make a ranking out of it. Basically, the more countries do bad things with biometrics, the worse they're ranking. And I'm afraid to say. Uh, America's fifth worst. Um, oh. Sorry. But anyway, 50 countries, everyone go look at their country. Ireland is not too bad of a shade. Um, they have a map. Anyway, in terms of propeller... <coughs> Before propeller, we go on, I did find the article. It's uh, the Osaka uh, or Osaka uh, Metro 
started testing a next-generation automated ticket gate featuring a facial recognition system. They're going to test it with 1,200 Osaka Metro employees to start. Okay, so for the point of your face is your ticket. That's interesting. Yeah. At least it's in the user's favor. Even you if it's there's raise... an advantage. Yeah. It just means that you need to trust them to do it safely. And I do not know, as an organization, whether that is trust that has been earned. Yeah. I just looked at that map, by the way. The shiniest color to be is dark blue. And while... Northern Ireland is a slightly lighter shade of blue along with the United Kingdom. The Republic of Ireland is the right shade of darkest possible blue. Canada, Australia, New Zealand, they're all light shades of blue. Sorry, it's an in-joke. We call it Canada because they're Canadians. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's a very, very large splodge of evil-looking red, although no one is quite as evil-looking red as China, shock and or horror. There's only one country on the map in that particular shade of red, and that's China. Uh, but the US, I'm afraid, is the wrong side of the red-blue spectrum. Anyway, mm. interesting. <laughs> you could just leave that sentence there anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes, unfortunate. Um, Propeller Beanie Territory, most of it's really nerdy stuff, but uh, it is interesting to note that Naked Security are reporting on a new Mac Trojan they found. Now, it's a Trojan, so you need, basically, if you're out pirating Mac software, this is the kind of thing you can come home with. But it's an interesting story in the sense that it's a new, much more advanced Mac Trojan. It's, it fits a new model called fileless malware, basically malware that makes itself memory resident only. So you can virus scan your hard drive till the cows come home and you will find nothing because the malware is entirely memory resident. Oh. It's, it's a nice trick. Again, it's a Trojan. So be careful out there is really what this comes down to. The Mac continues to be a target because there are a lot of Mac users now. Now, the Mac is well architected, so it's it's a difficult attack surface, but it is worth people's while attacking it. So don't just assume I'm on a Mac, therefore I can do anything. No, you still have to be careful. Hmm. So suggested listening. Um, this is arguably a palate cleanser, to be honest. Um, this is a really interesting episode of Planet Money. It's called Slot Floss. Slot Floss. Scuff Floss. Very hard to say. It sounds like it's about um, machines in Vegas. Yeah, and it is. But I promise you, and I do not want to go into detail because it will give the fun away. I promise you there is this is really, really relevant to security. Hmm. And so, computers and stuff and computers and stuff. Very relevant to computers and stuff. It's fascinating episode. I don't want to give it away because it's a really fun journey they take you on. And it's you you'll learn a lot and it's fun. Cool. And then in terms of more traditional palate cleansing, I guess, uh, a really good article from Naked Security continuing their wonderful serious security series. So this article was triggered by a recent bug in enterprise-level hard drives. I was in two minds whether or not this story was security bits or not uh, when it broke two weeks ago. But there was a bunch of enterprise-level hard solid-state hard drives by HPE, which is the enterprise half of what was once Hewlett-Packard before it split in two. And there was a bug in the firm, or there is a bug in the firmware, which means that any drive that has been alive for more than 32,000 hours will irrevocably and unfixably destroy itself. 
Oh. And it comes down to how computers count. It's basically the Y2K problem, only in the firmware of these hard drives. Oh, interesting. The reason this is, one of the reasons this is such a problem is if you commission, say, a massive RAID array, although those drives may be made in different batches, they're going to have been turned on at the same time. So the usual protection of never fill a RAID array with disks from the same batch won't help you here because it's you running the RAID array. So as soon as you turn it on, all the disks, no matter when they were manufactured, they're all spun up together and they live together and they will die together. Together. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a vicious bug. And if it had affected consumer drives, we would definitely have talked about it. But it really is only for people running HP-provided network SANs and NASs and those kind of things. SANs, in fact, rather than NASs. So it really doesn't affect any of our listeners. But it's a very interesting bug. And security used it as an excuse for one of these learn about computers posts they're so good at. It's called Understanding How Computers Count. It's not as easy as you think. Wow. Well, very cool. This worked. Yay! Well, it's half work. So no, let's see if we can I, make let's see if we can make the second half interesting. That's true. I don't have to wait a week, but uh, for everybody else, I guess we'll sign off and uh, talk to you in a week. Indeed. Until then, stay patched and stay secure. Well, that is going to wind us up for this show, but it's not the end of the year. You know, I don't understand it. Everybody's traveling when they go, you know, go to the holidays. They need podcasts to listen to so they don't have to talk to their families and everything. This is the show that will continue to go on. So we will have a show coming out on the 22nd and on the 29th of December. The uh, weekend of January 5th, though, Sunday, we will actually be on our, I will already be in Las Vegas for CES. So the show is probably going to be on Saturday or maybe no live show. Haven't decided yet, but the show will go on. And then we'll have all that yummy content from, uh, from Las Vegas. Should be a lot of fun. But in the meantime, don't forget to send in your dumb questions, comments, suggestions, listener contributions. If you got something to say and you want to give it up, this is a great time to do it. We're doing pretty good, but we can always use more. You can send those to me at allison at podfeet.com. Guess what my Twitter handle is? Podfeet. What if you wanted to become a patron? Uh, If you wanted to join Patreon, how would you do it? Podfeet.com slash Patreon. What if you wanted to join our Facebook group? Podfeet.com slash Facebook. How about our Slack? Podfeet.com slash Slack. And remember, if you want to join in the fun of the live show, head on over to podfeet.com slash live on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. Pacific time and join the friendly and enthusiastic No Silly Castaways like Franco did after having been gone for a little while. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.